podcast as part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And welcome to today's episode of the 49ers Unrestricted Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Bigelow. Daniel, how you doing this fine morning? I think we, we've had enough time potentially to get over this weekend's loss. Yeah, uh, you know, I wanted to come in here with like a, a big, hey welcome in, but uh, it just didn't feel right. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, yes, I am recovered uh, mostly and well. It still hurts. Uh, anyone ever dealt with a breakup? Because this feels similar, you know? Uh, first couple of days are tough, and then a few days out, you're like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. It, it's hard to believe that I'm okay, and it, and it sometimes is you don't want to be okay, but that's I related to a breakup. That's where it is, uh, you know? So a lot of... A lot of differences in uh, in this Super Bowl than 2019, um, but the thing that, that I hold on to the most, um, for any longtime Niners fans, you know, or for any new fans, hopefully you know this as well, they got five Super Bowl victories from many years ago. Now, I did not really get to see any of those, but I've seen the Niners lose three of them in the Super Bowl, and that's the thing that hurts the most is, man, I want to see the Niners win a Super Bowl with my own eyes so that's that's yeah. all to say i'm doing okay i know i'm i'm still getting over it too i mean i think you're right it, it's hard because everyone's like well you're a 49ers fan you've got five rings you're one of the best teams ever and it's like i totally know that but in my lifetime i've had three super bowls ripped away you know like i've had three super bowls yeah. that we could and potentially should have one that we we couldn't close the deal on and that yeah. That gets to you. I, I think the biggest thing for me is I think after four years ago, I was willing to still kind of like the Chiefs. I thought Patrick Mahomes seemed likable. They were really fun to watch. That is gone. I am now like the Chiefs are the and Patrick Mahomes are the embodiment of everything that is evil. And so I think they're the I, new Patriots. I think that's the biggest shift in my psyche is I've gone from like being able to still kind of kind of like and root for the Chiefs to I always want the Chiefs to lose no matter what. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I feel the same way uh, I said a second ago. They're the new Patriots, and I say that because I respect Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but I never liked them. I never wanted them to win. And now Andy Reid, Mahomes, and especially Kelsey for me are that. Where not, I respect not to mention Taylor of, Swift. Yeah, uh, I saw a report yesterday that I think it was 54 seconds of screen time on the TV she had. That was not bad, really. All things considered. 54 seconds is a lot because you know how many times they panned over and I don't really have a problem with it. I understand they're going to do that. My dad sure had a problem with it. And that's what was funny for me. Um, and my wife loves Taylor Swift, so she wasn't bothered by it. But my dad was watching with my parents and, and my wife and my dad kept going, why are they showing her? And I could just look over at my wife and see she's cringing every time my dad just says her and doesn't say her name or anything like that. So that was a side note. But a lot of a lot of airtime to to add up to fifty four seconds there. Um 
But, Timmy, before we get into the game breakdown and sharing our thoughts, can I share a quick story? Please. I was I was not watching with some of my friends because I can't handle watching important Niner games, or really any Niner games much anymore, uh, with a group of people, uh, comma, with anyone that is not also a Niners fan because I get too angry at them, and anyone who doesn't care about watching the game. So unless you're a diehard Niners fan, I don't want to watch the game with you is essentially what I'm saying. But at the, at the Super Bowl party, my friend has a nine-year-old daughter, and she's the sweetest thing. Uh, one, once upon a time, she called me her best friend in the world. My life was made. But she was sad that I wasn't there watching the game because she knows I'm a big Niners fan and wanted to watch with me. And it, she's making comments about me not being there during the game. But at the end of the game, and they're showing some of the Niners players crying or sad faces on the screen, she's having this real realization where she's like, why are they showing, she's asking her parents, why are they showing the sad guys? Why are they showing them crying? That's not okay. That's mean. That Why would they do that? Oh, how does Daniel feel? Is Daniel crying? I think they should change the, the camera from their faces. <laughs> I just, That's very I sweet. I love that. And I, yes, I was crying, but I love that she has that awareness. Yeah, I I know what you're talking about. I was watching with with some good friends, and it was a blast. But it was like it took them a little bit to realize, like, oh, we can't ask him questions right now. Like, it was pretty yeah. funny watching my friends realize, like, oh, we can't talk to him. Like, he is not in an emotional space to have a conversation. Yeah, I I have some big reactions. I'm surprised my Niners hat made it through the game because it gets tossed around a lot. Um, I did uh, the, the Raheem Mostert. Uh, well, I, I dove on tile floor to do a little surfing like Raheem Mostert used to do. Um, great yeah, let's just touchdown say my grandma dance. hasn't seen that side of me. Say it again. An all-time great touchdown dance from Raheem. Oh, it's the best. It's literally my favorite celebration ever. Well, Timmy, I say, I say we we knuckle up and we talk a little bit about this game. Yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of different angles we can go here. Do you want to talk about some of the reactions that we've seen throughout the media first, or do you want to do kind of our own analysis breakdown with some statistics and just some some certain plays? I'm thinking let's do our own thing, chat through the game from beginning to end, and then kind of as we come across, you know the. The moments and the and the decisions that have have really caught people's attention. Maybe we share our our thoughts on them as well. Great, let's do it. So let's start off with the Niners' offense. I'm just going to tell you Brock Purdy's stat line. He threw the ball 38 times, more than he normally does, but a big game that had overtime. 23 completions, 255 yards, an average of 11.1, one touchdown, no interceptions, was sacked once. Had an 89.3 quarterback rating, which is it's a great rating, but it's kind of lower for his incredible season. But he played a clean game. Totally. Only one touchdown, not necessarily your favorite, but in a in a game where they only scored 22 points, that kind of that's on par for the Niners. Um, especially when someone else comes in and throws a touchdown as well. So yeah, I mean, I that think Purdy, easily. there's probably moments he wants back. There's probably a couple passes, but I, I thought Purdy did great. I thought he played a good game. He was not the reason the 49ers lost. And he hung with Patrick Mahomes most of the time. And, and, and that was all you could ask of him. So absolutely Brock Purdy was not the reason the 49ers lost the game. And just to kind of 
kind of forecast where we're heading. I don't really know that I think anyone on the 49ers is the reason we lost the game. There were some mistakes. There was some bad luck. But I, I don't know. I, I don't really blame anyone specifically. There's a couple people that I, I, I have issues with a couple decisions. But other than that, but I, I definitely think Brock, Brock played well enough that we could have won the game off of his play. And that, that was all you could ask of him, right? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot because of some of the, and I won't get too much into it yet and we will wait for the end. Um, but as we've seen in the media, and you see this everywhere we go, whether it's sports or whatever else, we live in a society where somebody has to take the blame is essentially how it feels. And, you know, that's that's our judicial system where there's a crime committed. Somebody must be punished for it, right? And I feel like the sports world has adopted that where if somebody loses a game, even sometimes it, it feels like if somebody wins, just anything happens, somebody's at fault. Somebody has to take the blame. And you watch Brock Purdy's press conference after the game, and he's taken all the blame for this. And I think he quite literally is like the number one guy to maybe not blame and it's not fair to look at somebody and go, well, you just didn't do enough. And that, that's not what he did as well. But, again, I, I think you summarized it well by just saying he hung in there with Patrick Mahomes, who I can read his stat line just to kind of compare, but Mahomes threw the ball a lot more, 46 times, 34 completions for 333 yards. So, yes, like 80 more yards, but for an average of 9.8. Two touchdowns, one interception, and three sacks. He had a rating of 99.3, so a, a great rating, phenomenal rating. But he did throw a touchdown. He was sacked three times, and I firmly believe that the Chiefs' O-line is better than the Niners' O-line, even though we have Trent Williams, but right of Trent Williams is, isn't is anything crazy. But the Chiefs got guys, uh, tackles Jonathan, Devon Smith, I combined them, Devon, Donovan Smith. Wow, I'm having a hard time with names right now. <laughs> Donovan Smith, and I believe it's Jawan Taylor on the right. Oh, the no guys that hold? The guard was injured. He, oh, my gosh. The, did you see the video of where Bosa was kind of spinning around yep. and Jawan Taylor literally, like, bear-hugged him from behind? Yeah, that was brutal. Just unreal. So, there, of course, this is what happens after games is, is players will go through and watch the, the game closely and look for any penalties. And there is so many bo missed Bosa holds, but I'm not going to sit here and say that was the reason for the outcome of the game. But, Timmy, have you seen yet? Yeah, I'm switching gears a little bit. Have you seen the play, the last play of the game, where a Chiefs offensive lineman was more than 10 yards down the line, which is technically a legal man downfield, yeah, we got away with that too, sense. though. On the on the trick play, okay. our center was downfield, so I don't know. Ah, all in all, I think other than some of those holding calls, I thought the refs called a very good game. I don't think you can blame them. I agree, especially I'd rather have no calls than too many calls. That's my totally, and that was where they leaned, is. and and that's Bill Vinovich's style. That's why he was brought in to ref this game was for exactly yeah. that. So I don't I don't have much of a problem with it. Yeah, so. Uh, what what we've learned, what has been solidified, we already talked about a little bit, is that this Chiefs team has cemented itself as a Chiefs dynasty. Yeah. Now, I think they are literally just the, the new Patriots. And why I say that is because the Patriots have been such a dynasty, 
And there has been so many times where Tom Brady, Bill Pelichick, and company have not had like the greatest season. The Chiefs didn't have a horrible season. They just didn't have a, a Chiefs-like season of what we've seen in the last few years. Now, uh, we certainly have seen different different seasons of them, but this is probably one of their worst seasons, if not their worst season with Patrick Mahomes, but yet they still made the playoffs. And what matters That's and what I said – and what I said all, all playoffs long of being scared of is it does once you get to playoffs, certain teams, it does not matter at all. Those 17 games matter no longer. The Chiefs are in the playoffs. Mahomes, Kelsey, and Reed, it's a clean slate, and you have to be so careful with them. And that's exactly what happened is they are the best team in the playoffs no matter what the 17 games prior look like. Yeah, and I mean that's what's crazy if you're – if you're watching this Chiefs dynasty is like this was supposed to be their like year off you know this was the year they had kind of been like okay we'll we'll like downgrade a little to to build for the future and instead they just won another Super Bowl so that's really scary as someone who's wants his team to be competing with them for four Super Bowls over the the next few years Daniel I think it's I think it's time to just talk about some of the bad breaks the 49ers had because I think we we want to blame people, we want to blame decisions, but if there was ever a game that could be blamed on bad luck, it's probably this one, right? And, and yes. so starting with even yeah. the first drive, the 49ers looked unstoppable for a couple plays, and then McCaffrey gives up his second fumble of the year. You can blame McCaffrey for sure. He shouldn't have fumbled. But also, just kind of a fluke play. They do happen sometimes, and, and so that's that's a huge momentum shifter, right? At, at that point, the 49ers looked unstoppable until he went down, and that fumble, huge turning point. I think the biggest turning point of the game, though, you, you've got a 49ers defense that is is shutting down the Chiefs, and it's it's doing this because of the two best the best linebacker duo in the NFL of Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, and then running onto the field before the next possession, Dre Greenlaw tears his Achilles. He's not playing; he's just running out onto the field to play, and the man tears his Achilles. I, I think that was the most pivotal moment. I think you could see the Chiefs target the his areas of the field after he was out. I don't know that the, that a moment defined this game more than the freak tearing of an of Dre Greenlaw's Achilles just running out onto the field. Yeah, I think I think one of the other uh, unlucky things that took place could be arguably a more defining moment. But I'm with you. Things like that, um, things like the the punt where Daryl Luter. I, and it's hard. If someone was was telling me like, "Oh, it's Daryl Luter's fault." He's supposed to know where the ball is and not be in the way of it. And I'm like, the man's doing his job blocking downfield. I actually don't think that was Daryl Luter's fault. I have a different take. It was Ray Ray McLeod's well, fault. I, Do you know so why? I, I don't even know why. You fall on the ball, Ray Ray. That I think was the that yep. actually to me is the only one of these like fluke plays that I think you can blame a 49er for. He tried to scoop it up. He should have fallen on the ball. If he had fallen on that ball, we recover that punt. And they don't score a touchdown. But if you, I, I if think you that watch w- that in real time. No, if you I watch know. That play in real time. I know. The it's bu- like I don't even know how you would fall on he, it. He he may not have had a chance to right, but he was there. He did get his hands on it, and, and so yeah. like, I mean, you've played football at, an, at a much higher organized level than I ever did. But 
you fall on the ball, right? Isn't that what your coaches are telling you to do? Yeah, I just yeah, it's a, it's a split moment. Um and I just with the, the the bouncing of the football which you can never guess where it's going. I just I've watched that so many times and I'm like I just don't know how you would have fallen on that in that specific instance. But he got his hands on it. But you're, you're telling me he couldn't have tried to fall on it at the time his hands were on it? I I think if he I think he thought he could scoop it up and make a play out of it and he he shouldn't have. Oh, I'm he sure should have at did. least tried to fall on the ball. If he had tried to fall on the ball, I wouldn't be upset about it. But I've, to me, of all the moments of the game where you might blame players, that's actually the one I, w- I would like to blame someone because he didn't do what he's been coached to do his entire life. And had he, potentially we would have been able to recover it. So I think that is the most pivotal point in the game because we muffed that and we did not get a stop. They went down and scored a touchdown. And we did not really respond right away. And so that, to me, seems like the most pivotal part of the game or most deciding part of the game, if you would, um, where we were supposed to be getting the ball back. We botched it, gave them the ball, let them score, and then didn't go score ourselves in response. And so that was a huge momentum shift, not only a score shift as well. Yeah. Um, Timmy, we were talking a second ago about kind of the Chiefs dynasty and how this is supposed to be a, a year off, so to speak. And as we're watching the game, I, I, I know some of their young players, and I just didn't realize how good they were. Like, did, did you know Trent McDuffie was an all-pro? Uh, no, I did not until I watched this game because he sure played like an yeah. all-pro. That was one of the well, best defensive s- performances I've I've ever seen. I, I thought yeah, that so was there, absolutely incredible. There are so many different things uh, that we saw in media week leading up to the game. And, and some of the reports I saw were they, they were uh, comparing each uh, team's position group and saying, hey, who has the best position group here? Like, obviously, Chiefs have the better quarterback. They won that one. Niners obviously have the better receiver, better running back. And I, they gave the tight ends a tie. Chiefs have better O-line. And they went through the defense as well. Uh Trent McDuffie and Legarius Sneed, I think, are the best cornerback duo in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. And they played. They, played like they were it. incredible. Trent McDuffie had three pass deflections, and that's part of why we see here. And this is unexcusable to me, but a lot goes into this. But Debo Samuel had eleven targets, three receptions. That's that's a bummer. Uh, and LeJerry Sneed also had a pass deflection, so between the two of them, there was four. Even if all four of those pass deflections were while they were guarding Debo, that is still four drops or four miscues between Purdy and Debo after the pass deflections, and I doubt all four were on him. So I don't know where Debo's hands were. I understand some of them. There were a few throws that weren't weren't stellar from Brock to them. I thought that was more to Brandon Ayuk than it was Debo. But as you were, we were talking about, this is supposed to be a year off for the Chiefs, and I'm thinking of this young core. Uh, the 2022 draft for the Chiefs is an absolute steal. Trent McDuffie, first-round pick. He's playing like it. All pro in his second year. That's crazy. He's legit. Uh, they had two first-round picks. Later in the first-round pick, George Karlaftis, who... I think I can't believe the Chiefs got him that late. I thought he was going to go in the top 15 in that draft, and he went like 30, 
second? Did they have the last pick of the draft? Yeah, and, yeah, I think so. McDow- I mean, he's and, a phenomenal player. Totally, but I just don't get how Carl Aftis went so late as well, and he's, he's he, playing great. He had a huge play in the playoffs, and he did great for them. He definitely, week. though, was was someone who was more of a project, projection coming out of college, Carl Aftis. He, he grew a lot in the NFL. His rookie year, he was not this. And, and so I think that was a big... Uh, that was a big difference. So I, I think that points to why he went a little later. He was obviously a great prospect, but he was never like one of the sure thing pass rushers like a Bosa or a Garrett or one of those guys coming out. Carl Loftus yeah. has had significant improvement in his during his time in the league. Yeah, I think they did great with him getting him in that in that same draft. Uh, Sky Moore, Brian Cook, second round picks, not quite it. Leo Chanel, third round pick who made a difference on Sunday as well and seems to be a steal of a linebacker uh, in the third round. Let's move down to the seventh round where they selected running back Isaiah Pacheco. What a draft where they get McDuffie, Karlaftis, Chanel, and Pacheco with some other guys not of as of noteworthy as those guys, but classic. You know, We talk about how much we love Elijah Mitchell, and he did great, and he was such a late-round pick. Isaiah Pacheco is arguably better, or I, I wouldn't even say arguably. I think I'd rather have Isaiah Pacheco than I would Elijah Mitchell. Now, I think in our minds, Elijah Mitchell isn't that good anymore because he just never plays, but he's still pretty dang good. No, he's just not but, good compared to Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, no one is. But I just wanted to bring that up to show, man, these <laughs> these selections for the Chiefs are, are part of why it wasn't a year to take off for them because they've had such young help come in so early and be so good. So, and, and this is what the 49ers are going to need to do. The 49ers have obviously had great drafts, but some of these early picks have been, have been misses. And I think we, we have one more year, right? Where, and this is what we're going to talk about all off season, but we have one more year where Brock makes low money, right? He makes a million dollars next year and then he's going to sign a contract extension. I personally, I think Brock is the guy going forward. I'm not really willing to entertain any other discussions at this point. I, I just don't see it. But we have one more year where we might be able to keep this core together because of how little we have to pay Brock. But after that, we're going to need to get younger. And, and so the 49ers need to look at the Chiefs and how they did this through the draft, and they need to start doing the same. And, and so I think that's really something we need to we need to think about here. Yeah, so uh, we can go back to a couple more highlights about the game uh trick play Jawan jennings throwing touchdown to christian McCaffrey was awesome it wasn't very well executed but man did i love it um Jawan jennings throw to christian McCaffrey was too much of a lob it was too high it gave christian McCaffrey not enough time you would think but then he weaved his way into the end zone and you watch some of the chiefs players and i think they were just like what is this stupid play? Like you watch the defense and some of those some of those secondary guys, they're like looking at this play like, okay, that was funny. Oh wow, he caught it, it worked. And then they just they let him in the end zone almost. Just because it felt like they gave him so much room. But that was a highlight for for me. I love that. I love that we had a trick play in there and I love that it worked. Just would have loved to see it be cleaner, but Timmy, how much or how much did you dislike or like this play? Oh, I loved it. I thought that was awesome. That was fun to see. 
I hope I hope to see a few more of those this next year. I don't know. But, it's it's uh, funny because Kyle Shanahan is normally not a trick play guy, right? Like he has always said he's like, I don't want to introduce the risk. I think my team can just beat you by being better than you. But clearly he thought it was needed by the, in this game and and it was fun to watch. Yeah. I so, think, should we talk about overtime? Yeah, I just wanted to even ask. I just it didn't click for this offense. And I, I, I've been trying to understand the last few days. Is it more on the Niners for this offense not getting it going? Like, Chris McCaffrey had 80 yards each way. So he had 22 rushing attempts for 80 yards. That's an average of 3.6. That's not great. And then Brock Purdy only ran the ball three times when Patrick Mahomes over here is a leading rusher for his team. And Purdy is a better scrambler or a better runner than Mahomes. Um but we didn't utilize that. We've seen videos the last few weeks from college, or you just remember from Brock Purdy's college days. He ran all the freaking time. And then just to see, no receiver did, did much damage. I mean, Jawan Jennings had the only. There was a there was a there was a moment there where Jawan Jennings was going to be Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, absolutely. Or Chris Conley on special teams. Goodness, can we give that man yeah. a shout out? He absolutely. What a what a game from Conley. Now we do need to remember Debo was fighting off, fighting a hamstring injury that at one point had him questionable. Same with Kittle and his shoulder. The Niners were banged up out there, and so I think part of that might explain why Jawan Jennings was turned to. And Jawan Jennings has just been an incredibly reliable receiver his entire time with the 49ers. The dude's just consistent. I think he could walk this year. I think he's always been on a one-year deal, so I sure hope he comes back. I, I think he's a restricted free agent, so I, I, I think the 49ers, gonna, if they want him, can keep him. I'm going to check on that. Um. All right, so obviously this Super Bowl, second Super Bowl ever to go to overtime. A couple big things happened in overtime. The the one you're hearing picked apart everywhere, right, is is the 49ers elected to start with the football. They won the coin toss, chose to start with the ball. Everybody's all mad about this. There's a lot of back and forth. Obviously, we, we should point out new playoff over new playoff overtime rules in the NFL. This was only, I think, the second time that a game had been played with these new rules. They were instituted two seasons ago where if you score a touchdown, it's not over, right? The, each team gets a chance to control the ball, and then it becomes kind of a sudden death situation. So the 49ers elected to receive the toss. They've been ripped apart ever since. Um, I I don't know. It's happened twice. Kyle Shanahan, I thought, had a good explanation. He said, hey, look, whoever had the ball third had a chance to walk it off, and I wanted I wanted that. The Chiefs have now, of course, come out and said, oh, well, we were going to go for two if they had scored a touchdown, so... They wouldn't have even gotten the ball a third time if that's converted, which would have been the most stressful minute of my life, I, I must tell yeah. you. But I, I, I but think... I, su I support Kyle on that. Yeah, I do too. I, I think there's strong arguments for both sides. I don't think... There's clearly not a clear winner. But yeah, a lot of people too are ripping the 49ers because uh, some of the players were interviewed after the game and said, yeah, I didn't know the overtime rules. I thought if we scored a touchdown, we won. And then the Chiefs were like, well, yeah. we were we were planning for this in in uh last offseason and to be honest i mean that's everyone's like oh my gosh the 49ers were prepared kyle use didn't know the overtime rules and i'm like hey kyle use doesn't call the plays kyle use doesn't decide whether or not we're going to take the ball like i guess it's good that that chris jones on the chiefs was a part of the strategy but 
I don't really care if Kyle Juszczyk knows the rules. Clearly, Kyle Shanahan knew the rules. Clearly, he had prepared for them. And, and some people might not like the conclusion he came to, but it was at least an intelligent, facts-based conclusion. I don't know. That decision did not lose them the game, right? No. it. No one decision lost them the game. And if you think it did, you're wrong. The decision uh, that lost I them just... the game was to draft Solomon Thomas instead of Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no, and we said this earlier, there's no one play, there's no one moment, there's no one decision that cost the Niners the game. Both teams made plenty of mistakes, more than you would expect for a Super Bowl game, and not a single one of them cost them the game because there were, on the flip side, there were so many exceptional moments as well, and none of those are the, the, the key moments that won the game. Not even the last play in overtime, the touchdown by... Mahomes to Michael Hardman, that is not like the one play that won the game. That is the play that ended the game for sure. But there's no one thing that went into this game, and it's a 60-minute game plus overtime. So, so many different things could have happened. And so, I just can't stand when it's like, ah, that one thing, that's why the game happened, or that's how it got decided. No, there's so many opportunities and every single play after whatever moment you would pick to be the game winner, game ender, could have gone differently, right? Like the Niners could have gone for it on fourth down and overtime instead of kicking a field goal. And would it have been, like they were fourth and goal, would it have been a touchdown? Maybe, I don't know. But I'm just so sick and tired of this argument that um, one thing defined this game. And that's, I, I haven't heard any players say that. And I think that is just a measly fan excuse. And we like to, that's, part of my argument of we like to place blame Ab- and there has absolutely to be blame. and i just think it's ridiculous and it, it's got to stop and so if you're listening and you think that change your thinking go yeah ahead. i mean i don't blame anyone now if i'm going to question and and pick a specific uh, a specific decision that kyle shanahan made i'm not questioning starting with the ball in overtime i'm questioning not going for it on fourth down in in the red zone on the overtime possession and clu- choosing to kick. I, I think either one is is reasonable. It makes sense. You want points on the board. If you stop them, then you then you um you win. But you're playing against Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Do you really like no one has ever stopped Mahomes in a game winning drive? He's the only quarterback in NFL history to be seven for seven in postseason like game winning drives. Now, who's a quarterback you think of, Daniel, that is is really good at postseason game winning drives? I'll answer for you. I think of Drew Brees. You want to know what Drew Brees My was? My favorite quarterback on, of all time? Yeah. Do you want to know what Drew Brees' record was on potential game winning drives in the postseason? Uh, 56 for 57. He was 3 for 6. Yeah, not as great. He was 3 for 6 in winning the game on postseason drives. 50% of the times. Patrick Mahomes, 100% of the times. And you might be like, well, Mahomes is younger. He's also played more. He had more chances. He's had 7 of these. So you're up against the best quarterback of all time. I I don't know if you want to say greatest. You have to say best at this point. You know that of all the quarterbacks out there, he has the best chance to score. So... I think you go for it, and if and your defense has obviously been playing really well. They're a little gassed, but they've been playing the best they played, which we should mention. Chase Young, welcome to the 49ers, just in time. But anyway, the 
the the you're you're getting giving them worst field position than if you kick off after a field goal and you have the chance to put seven points on the board. So I don't know that I think it was the wrong decision, but to me that's the yeah. decision that that I actually think people should have should push on Shanahan more. I don't know that he made the wrong decision, but that one to me I actually think there's a stronger argument to go for it on fourth. The field position's not that good, and, and then yeah. you you have a chance to put seven on the board or, or even potentially eight if you really want to roll the dice. But Kyle Shanahan doesn't roll the dice, and it's gotten him here, and I, I won't blame him for it. So these are the factors that were going into his decision because fourth and goal, and if he scores, if he kicks a field goal, okay, then the Chiefs have to, excuse me, the Chiefs have to score a touchdown to win. And so he's putting, excuse me, he's putting the pressure on them, which... You know, tough team to do that. And I bet he, he agrees with that. He knows that. But if he goes for it and he doesn't get it and it's a turnover, yes, we're in their zone. So we're on like their five or ten. So great field position. But to end the fourth quarter, they were carving up our defense. And Harrison Butker broke Jake Moody's brand new record of longest field goal in Super Bowl history. So if you leave the door open to where all they need is a field goal to win, it's like, what are you doing? The longest field goal was just kicked in Super Bowl history. So you probably don't want to give them the chance to win it with a field goal. So you want to get some points on the board and force the touchdown when it's like, that's what he has to decide is, do I leave the door open if we don't get it? to all they need is a field goal when they just kicked, I believe, a 57-yarder a few moments ago. Not doesn't sound great. Do you want to force the greatest or the, the, the best of all time, the best at it right now, to go get a touchdown? No, doesn't sound great either. But when you only make him have to get like 50, 60 yards, you know, I think pu- pushing them to go, hey, you got to go down there and get the full thing to win it all, that's like best-case scenario because your hands are tied at that point. Yes, I guess best case scenario is we score the touchdown and they have to go score the touchdown to go get it, but that is quite the gamble. And again, as you pointed out, Kyle doesn't Kyle doesn't push the chips all in very often and you know, I, I it it's gotten him this far. Dan Campbell pushes them in constantly, and I'm not going to say that the one time he did, he went for it or he went for it a bunch of times on fourth down and has gotten it a bunch of times, and I'm not going to say that one play where they didn't get it is like Oh, I guess all the times you did it before aren't worth it. No, yeah. I love Dan Campbell's aggressiveness, but sometimes you lose out. And I just think, I think we were, so a lot of people are giving Kyle Shanahan scrutiny for kicking the field goal. I think if he goes for it and we don't get it, man, people would be calling for him to be fired. So he's going to be getting the scrutiny either way. I think he made the best decision. There was not a good decision as an option. Yeah, obviously it would be no, awesome I, I if think, they went for it and got the touchdown, but that didn't happen. I think what we're highlighting is uh, everyone who wants to blame a specific decision in this game is wrong. I, I think there's strong arguments for both sides. The fourth down is the one I question, but I, I get it on either side. There was one crucial play. I think it was in the overtime where you had uh, Chris Jones, you know, unblocked, coming straight at Purdy. I believe it was the third down. It might have been regulation, but could have, could have been, you know, the game, the game-ending strike there. Uh, but he went unblocked. I don't know if you saw this, Daniel. I, I think we do need to talk about it briefly. It led to a little bit of a Twitter drama between the 49ers. Did you see this? I did. 
Yeah, so you got. I'll, I'll summarize it to our listeners. You've got that play. Someone on Twitter retweeted a video of it, blamed right tackle Colton McKivitz. And John Feliciano, who had been the starting right guard and had been injured at that point, replaced by Spencer Burford, basically tweeted out and said, that wasn't Colton's fault, that was Spencer's fault. He was a little nicer than that, but that's basically what he said. And Spencer Burford found it was like, hey man, like... <laughs> We could? Very nice tweet from Burford, all things considered. And Feliciano apologized, said he kind of lashed I think he out. But it well. Yeah, Burford did. Uh, Feliciano should never play for the 49ers again. He's not good enough to he, treat his teammates like that. He is a free agent, and yeah. I, I would be surprised if he comes back. Like, I, I mean, you know how it is. If you're good, you can treat your teammates bad. He's not good enough to treat his teammates like that. So, uh, get him out of there. That's just you can't talk to your teammate like that. Now it did look like Burford missed his assignment, but Chris Jones is the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Steve Spagnola is probably the best defensive coordinator at messing up your protection and, and giving you looks that aren't what you expect. And it, it happens. You can't blame a specific guy. I, I thought that was really really bad from Feliciano. At least he at least he owned it. Owned that he never should have done it. But yeah, get him out of the locker room. He's not good enough to act like that. I, I, I think agree. that does and highlight it, something that's going to be a big focus of our offseason chats, which is the uh, the offensive line. The interior offensive line needs to be rebuilt. The right tackle spot, I think, could be in for an upgrade, and we need to start thinking about Trent Williams' succession plan. But all in all, a really, really close Super Bowl. One of those games that if I wasn't a 49ers fan, I would have loved to get to watch. Really, really fun. I don't think you can blame any one player or any one moment. You, you can have I have a bone to pick with a few specific things and a few specific decisions but all in all we got beat by the best quarterback of all time because of a few lucky breaks I think the 49ers will be back here I I think we will get one and I think Brock Purdy played well enough to get us there so I don't think you can blame Purdy at all Daniel I think we got a few more minutes let's shift there's been a few changes on the 49ers coaching staff and I, I know this is an abrupt transition but I I think we need to talk about it so you want to want to jump in yeah, just one one comment I want to say is I, I to put it in perspective. I bet the Chiefs have a few things that they have, they would like to pick with themselves. So every team, even when they win, has that. So yes, um, as we look to next year, and you can you can you better believe the Niners players and coaching staff is already focused on next year. They're mourning their loss, and I wonder if they stuck to their uh, George Kittle's twenty four hour rule, um, and they're moving ahead to next season. But a lot of changes already. Um, the 49ers relieved Steve Wilkes of his duties, and Timmy and I will talk more about that one next episode because uh, I think that there is some some stuff to mention about that. Uh, assistant head coach slash running back coach Anthony Lynn becomes the Washington Commanders run game coordinator. Our former pass game coordinator Clint Kubiak becomes the Saints offensive coordinator, so he gets an upgrade. Uh, good for him. Assistant O-line coach James Craig becomes the Raiders O-line coach. So we've already lost a lot of guys. Anthony Lynn followed Adam Peters to the commanders. So it's it's going to look different. Um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of coaching changes have already happened, and I expect more to come. I ex- a lot of things have been talked about and considered. So we'll talk more about those in next episode and if there's any new ones at that point. Yeah, I I do want to just really briefly, we don't need I agree, we should talk about the Wilkes the Wilkes in more more detail later cuz it's a really big significant thing that happened, but I two things I just want to say cuz I do think there's a chance the 49ers have a new defensive coordinator by the time we record again. So I I just want to call out it was very clear that Shanahan did not trust Wilkes. 
you cannot there, there's a lot I don't know enough about football to pick everything apart but I know two things I know the defense was not as good as they were last year and I know that the announcers during the Super Bowl were able to spot that Kyle Shanahan called a timeout to change one of Steve Wilkes' play calls so I I don't know how you just when when that happens how you don't you don't fire the guy. It was clear Shanahan didn't trust him. So I, I clearly it was yeah. the right call because Sh- this is Shanahan's team. He's got to have a guy he can trust on the other side of the ball. And I'm kind of excited about this because there's a lot of really good potential defensive hires out there. You got a lot of former head coaches who are now available who came from the defensive side of the ball. You got Brandon Staley out there. You got Mike Vrabel. Really, really good names. Wink Martindale. I think he's got a job at the college level, but he could potentially come back. There's just a lot of really good names out there on the defensive side of the ball. One more I just want to throw out. The greatest defensive mind in the history of football, Bill Belichick, is available. Can't really see him taking a taking a coordinator job, but he's been one before. He was obviously phenomenal at it, and by all accounts, he and Shanahan have a pretty good relationship. So my pick for the 49ers defensive coordinator job, Bill Belichick. Hot take, I know. But just want to throw out there that this is a really, really good time to be looking for a defensive coordinator because of the the names that are available because you have these former head coaches, and people aren't really hiring defensive guys as much this year. So there's a lot of good talent out there to choose from. Shanahan said we'd consider internally as well. I don't care who it is, to be honest, as long as it's someone that Shanahan trusts. And and so that, I think, was the biggest thing. He clearly did not trust Wilkes. Is Wilkes the reason we lost the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But it was pretty clear Shanahan didn't trust him, so it it was time to get him out. Yeah, I would say my my quick thought is I think it's one of those things where I think Kyle and Steve uh, had a great relationship. I think they still do. And I think I think Steve Wilkes is a good defensive coordinator. Absolutely, he could be a good head coach again somewhere. Absolutely, but I think it was just hey, it's it's one of those things. You know, we're gonna start off with a dating, uh, talking about how it's a breakup, and I'm gonna end talking about you know sometimes you go on a date, you're like wow this person's great. It just wasn't a great fit. That's how it was here. I think the Niners like Steve Wilkes. It just wasn't a great fit, and they wish him the best somewhere else. Absolutely. And you know, it's worth pointing out, Steve Wilkes' background is in the secondary. This was the best season the 49ers cornerbacks, defensive backs have had in years. So he he got his area to excel. He It, it just wasn't all tied together in the way it, it needed to. And I, I think that was kind of the, the key. And I think it just comes down to... When you have the head coach clearly calling a timeout to tell the defensive coordinator to change his play call during the Super Bowl, there's just the working relationship isn't what it needs to be. And I, I, I knew it was I thought it was over at that point, and it clearly was. But like I said, good time to be hiring a defensive coordinator. So good time for a lot of things. Good time to be getting a team ready to make another Super Bowl run. Should be fun. And listeners, we know you're bummed. We're probably more bummed. But we appreciate you tuning in and recapping this painful Super Bowl with us. Daniel, any kind of parting thoughts? It's a bummer to lose the Super Bowl yet again. And what's cool is the window is not closed. I think it could actually be... I think this team could even have a stronger year next year. And so I saw reports that they were already... The Niners were already the favorites. Um, in my biased opinion, they are the favorites, and I think that we're going to see a strong offseason, and this 49ers team was a, a force to reckon with this year, and it's only going to be better next year. 
Now, I will say, I think next season, and again, we can dive into all of this, I think next season is the last chance with this team as currently constructed. That I, that I really do think. I don't know that we have much of a chance to... Like, I don't know that this current version of the 49ers has has more than one more year just contractually. I think they might be able to keep the ship together for one more season, and I think they're going to be a competitive, great football team for a long time, but after next year, it's going to look very different. So next year's a big year. I agree. Yeah, so we'll, we'll break that down on the offseason. Got a number of – a long list of free agents. None of them are uh, – other than Deshaun, to, uh, Deshaun Gibson, none are like true starters. Um, so we'll break that down next episode, talk about who's leaving, talk about some other NFL free agents and, and who we might bring in. And, and in a few weeks, we'll get into the draft. So excited for a lot of this offseason talk to prepare for next season. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And as, as always, uh, stay safe out there.